0: Hello and welcome again to the Creative Careers in Medicine podcast. I'm Andrew Bracey and in this series we chat with doctors and health professionals who forge all kinds of fascinating careers and pathways for themselves in and alongside medicine. My guest for this episode is Dr. Brandon Carp. Brandon is a Melbourne-based doctor who transformed a medical career into an incredibly successful business career as the founder of Unified Healthcare Group. i Really enjoyed this chat with him. It was an enlightening and really interesting conversation. He talks about the changing attitudes and perceptions around how people view the commercial side of medicine and how these kinds of medical careers are becoming increasingly recognized as a valid, important uh, professional pathway for doctors to pursue. He talks about how he got started in business, the many lessons he's learned along the way and why he believes it might actually be easier now than it once was to do the kinds of things he was doing in the 90s but also what it's like to ultimately walk away from clinical medicine in pursuit of a different kind of health career. Brandon has some really interesting perspectives and advice to share, and he's a great example of what's possible for doctors prepared to do it their own way. Before we get to that, though, a quick reminder that CCIM 2020 conference is getting very, very close now. It's been a long wait after the postponement earlier this year. It will be going ahead um, as a virtual event over two days, December 12 and 13, Um, while the CCIM team are are really disappointed, obviously, that uh, they won't be able to have you all there in person um, as they have in the past. Um, They've put in a range of measures to ensure it will still be an incredibly fun, informative, inspiring, invigorating event, um, including a keynote address from Dr. Carl Kruzanicki. So if you've not already registered, please head over to the CCIM page at creativecareersinmedicine.com. Follow the links to the events page where you can purchase your ticket. And while you're there, if you're not already a member, you can learn all about the CCIM membership program and the benefits that come with that one. So with that housekeeping out of the way, on to my conversation with Dr. Brandon Carp Doctor Brandon Carp, thank you so much for joining the CCIM podcast.
1: Andrew, thank you for having me. It's a great pleasure.
0: Yeah. I wanted to note before we get going that um, obviously I'm speaking to you on the first day of eased uh, lockdown restrictions in Victoria. You know, you're based in Melbourne yourself living under these restrictions for so many months now. I can't imagine the relief for, for, for yourself, for your family, your, your friends, colleagues. We'll get to the business side of things in the moment, but perhaps just for a minute um, on just a personal note, what's this week been like for you and how did, how did, have you been holding up over the the last several months of lockdown?
1: Uh, look, it. Today's been a, an interesting day. I actually just came back from uh, having a bite of lunch at a little cafe outside where I I had a coffee and a, and a sandwich, uh, which I haven't done for many months. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was a real sense of freedom and relief, which I didn't expect, but also it was a little bit strange. Um, just, you know, when to wear my mask, when not... Um, I had a sandwich. What do I do with my hands? So all the things that you sort of took for granted yep. were uh, a little bit uh, unusual. I was wondering where the knife and fork was for the sandwich, which is uh, obviously not typical. But, you know, in saying that, I think the last few months have been um, uh, a real mixture of emotions. I mean, you know, I'm sort of grateful in many ways that um, we haven't been hit that badly like other countries yeah. uh, around the world certainly grateful for having healthy uh, family, kids, um, you know, work has continued pretty much, um, obviously with many changes, but, um, you know, it's still been there. So looking around at others, um, certainly very fortunate and very grateful, but um, uh, also you know devastating to watch the challenges faced by many people in you know in a number of industries you know airlines particularly and hospitality and you know others have been you know really suffered so uh it's been a really strange time for everyone
0: it certainly i mean as you say it's it's hit so many people and so many you know businesses and organizations very, very differently obviously i mean can you hear how it's impacted you and, and your businesses um Perhaps before we get to that, perhaps we can talk a little bit about what it is that, that you do with Unified Healthcare Group, um, that the company that you co-founded back in, in ninety seven. What what does UHG do, and, and what's your role there?
1: Um, well, UHG really um, evolved into being a, a platform that connected businesses like insurance companies, corporate government bodies to a vast range or the whole ecosystem of healthcare providers um, who required health information or health services. So, for example, you know, if you were uh, taking out a life insurance policy with MLC, some health information may be required from your treating doctor or, or specialist. Um, we facilitated that on behalf of the insurance company to connect those two parties in an efficient, effective way, in the same way as you needed a series of um, blood tests or examinations or any other uh, information to underwrite that policy, we were the facilitator of that through our technology platform Mm. and uh, the network of uh, providers all over Australia. So it was was a business that evolved from nothing, but uh, it really took shape over many years, so very fortunate.
0: What's your role within that these days? I mean, for, for people listening, sort of get a bit of a, a handle on, you because know, obviously you, you are still a, a, a practicing doctor as well on, uh, as, as your role within um, UHG. What's, what's your role within the UHG itself? Okay, well, Day-to-day. look,
1: I'll, I must confess that I, with a little bit of guilt, I'm not a practicing doctor. Oh, Well, I still say I'm a doctor and I'm very <laughs> – proud to say I'm a doctor, probably what we call a commercial doctor now, not a clinical doctor. Mm -hmm. But I stopped practicing clinical medicine in 2008. Right. Uh, So in 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 1997, when I started the business, you know, I was the doctor, I was the salesperson, I was the um, operations manager, and probably the the only support I had was from my wife, who was, you know, finance and... uh, an extra pair of hands. So um, it really has evolved. And over that time, I, I really remained as, as a managing director or CEO from 1997 to 2014 as the business sort of grew from you know to zero or one person to about 200 people. And when it got to that stage in 2014, I realized that a, I wasn't really enjoying the, the role of being a CEO mm. of such a large group of people but also I was losing the ability to focus on what I did love, which was the creativity and the innovation. So from that point, I went into a role as executive chairman, um, appointed a professional CEO, and I remained as executive chairman till mid-last year where um, we actually merged our business or sold our business to another large um, organization, um, headquartered in the US. And today I remain uh, as an advisor to that business, which is called MedHealth, and UHG is a is a part, an integral part of that business today. So,
0: taking a step back in that case to what we we're initially talking about, and you know, obviously, because it is so topical, the, the impact of, of COVID 19 on your business, what what has that been like for, for a business that is so digitally and you know, tech savvy, um, future focused, what kind of impact did, you ha- did it have in terms of, you know, remote work and teams and connectivity and um, the sudden impact yeah. of lockdown and <laughs> teams? You, what, what, what was that like for you guys?
1: Look, I was certainly really fearful, like all business people, uh, about the impact. You know, pretty quickly we went to remote working. Um, for over 200, well, MedHealth has nearly 2,000 people. Um, but interestingly, the, we had created um, a remote workforce many, many years ago. So part of our value proposition was to be able to provide, you know, payers, corporates, government, insurers, etc., with, you know, services and information anywhere, anytime. And that really led itself to being a 24-7 Um, uh, organisation with a a workforce that was uh, disparate all over the country and therefore, despite having a large number of people head office in Melbourne and some in Sydney, um, really we had people everywhere. So the journey to remote um, working wasn't as difficult as perhaps it was for other organisations who hadn't done it before. Um, But in saying that, it was interesting that many of our customers Works and therefore our work was was really went to a standstill. So one of our services is to provide uh, information to um, Qantas and a number of other airlines, right, okay, yeah. uh, For managing um, illness, injuries, uh, issues um, for all their staff, thousands of staff. That you know that shut down as you can imagine yeah, pretty quickly. Yeah. Whereas others like. Um, you know, uh, TAL or AIA, who were insurers of um, uh, for people with uh, for life insurance income protection, actually saw an enormous spike. So, you know, net net, the business uh, has travelled actually extraordinarily well. Um, being digitally enabled has actually made it a um, you know a real uh, easy leap uh, to continue in this in this world that we are now. And I think it gave us some significant advantages to many others that didn't have the investment in technology from such a such an early part in our uh, evolution
0: were there important lessons along the way by the sounds of it having to sort of switch focus and you know with, with you know, changing client loads and, and all that kind of stuff
1: yeah look certainly we've prided ourselves on being innovative and um Staying ahead of the pack, and you know, thinking a little bit outside the square, and thinking um, a little bit forward as well. So, we'd already had that quite um, significantly embedded in our DNA. Mm-hmm. So, this this was a you know, this was a really difficult time. Don't get me wrong, but we have had times like this, and um, you know, whether it's technological. Disasters where we've had to, you know, respond really quickly, or other issues where we've had to um, respond to the market or to competitors very quickly. Mm. We've sort of done that over the passage of time, so we've had a bit of practice, which was, uh, which was, you know, positive, and uh, you know, we're grateful. Help prepare for you
0: for what was what was to come a little
1: bit. Yeah, look, certainly, I don't think anyone could have been prepared mm. for this. Um, this is something uh, that, you know, I don't think. Anyone could have anticipated or planned for, but I think there's certainly been a um, a case of um, you know real winners and real losers. Many of them through you know luck and good fortune, but many of through through um, good planning and, and investment in technology and innovation. I mean, I, I my, my mother is a is a Holocaust survivor, and she you know, I was most concerned for her because she was, yeah. uh, you know, old and uh, oldish. And, uh, you know, this was a bit of a uh, a change being locked up. And she reminded me that, you know, in her early years, she was sent by uh, the Russians just during the war to Siberia, which actually saved her. But she says, I'm used to being locked down for a while. Uh, in fact, for many years But she said, you don't know how lucky you are. We didn't have Netflix. We didn't have Uber Eats and we didn't have online shopping. And uh, and I think she's very right. You know, yeah. as locked down as we were, I think we can look back on the, you know, the back in the 90s when um, the internet it was created, um, how lucky were we that this pandemic has occurred um, at a time when the internet has really created all those innovations that. To be frank, have made um, our lockdown, you know, really far easier than, uh, oh, than we've absolutely and it's,
0: it's enabled all those a lot of those uh, connections between people to to at least um, continue on some level. Where, as you say, you know, in, in your mother's um, uh, perspective, there you know it really does put everything in perspective <laughs> fairly fairly, um, fairly starkly, doesn't
1: it? Yeah, and look, even things like telemedicine. So we were. Um, you know, we have a, a medical clinic, the one where we started our business and where I started practicing in, in Melbourne, in Peran. Mm. And we flipped pretty quickly to, um, you know, telemedicine like um, most clinics and uh, really uh, largely didn't skip much of a beat. I mean, obviously there was a lot of people that wouldn't come in for particular things and mm. therefore was a little bit um, reduced in terms of our ability to, to see the volume of patients that we were sort of used to. But the doctors and the practice really accommodated very well. And again, just another wonderful example of, um, you know, innovations of, uh, of technology. Needless to say, most doctors I understand have used the telephone, but we were a little bit different. We really focused on giving a video conference experience. Uh, 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 we felt that was much better.
0: Sure. I mean, if... If we rewind your career a little bit, um, obviously, UHG has not been your only venture uh, along along the journey. You uh, have a history of yep. entrepreneurship, which, of course, saw you nominated in, in 2014 for the uh, EY as uh, Young uh, Entrepreneur of the Year. You previously founded Sellers Healthcare and um, uh, back in the early 90s, Dr. No magazine, which some people might remember. I'd love to hear about what those experiences were like for you in a little bit. But um, but first, I wanted to go right back to um, your decision to pursue medicine in the first place, what your initial ambitions were expectations when you, when you first started off on that journey. And because I understand that yeah. your, your father was a doctor as well. Um, was that a large yeah. driver behind what had attracted you to the profession? you know, the tradition of the family business, that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, look, it, it was uh, really as far back as I can remember, I only ever wanted to be a doctor. I was one of those kids who at the age of, you know, 10, 11, 12, wanted to be, I suppose like my father, that was the only uh, that was the only example that I had. Mm. Um, there was him and then there was my grand grandfather who who wanted to be a doctor but couldn't because again he was fleeing from Europe so he sort of missed that opportunity and had to pull out halfway through. So it was sort of in some way preordained. In some way, that I just I didn't see there was a real choice. To be honest, not that I felt pushed into it. It was just it was what was expected. And yeah. I even remember um, sitting down with the principal in the year twelve or HSC as it was back in the back in the eighties. And uh, you know, you had to sit down and talk to him and tell him what you wanted to do when you finished. And and I said to him, look, the two things I really think I would enjoy and be good at. Is um, is um, medicine and cooking. I really like cooking, and he, he had a uh, a strong Polish accent, and he said to me, "Brandon, be a doctor and cook for fun." <laughs> so um, that was uh, that was really uh, the stamp of uh, where I was going. So really, that was it. I was uh, as long as I got the mark, I was going to do medicine and. Um, I practiced for a long time. I mean, I went through um, uh, the Alfred Hospital um, for, for many years. Um, and I must say, I tried many specialties. I started off wanting to do anesthetics. Then I was really enamored with a, um, the allergy consultant who, who, who showed me the sort of the real interest of allergy that, at a time when it was only a start, you know, a, a specialty in its infancy. Um, I then looked at rehabilitation, and ultimately, in my early thirties, I landed on dermatology, and uh, I I felt that that was going to be it. It was a interesting mix of surgery and uh, medical and physician sort of diagnostics. It had this great mixture of therapeutics and you know um, autoimmune and immunity with the you know the the wave of of all that that was happening. So I was really you know, thought I was on that pathway and ended up doing my first part dermatology, um, finishing that and then uh, was about to embark on the training program where I took a bit of a sliding door moment and, uh, and UHG started. Can you talk to
0: us about that sliding door moment? What was, I mean, because, you know, we talked about earlier in one of your responses, you were talking about how you had always been, you know, in your DNA, whether it's yourself or your company, I guess Hard to separate it on at some degree, um, in your DNA was it, that, that element of being you know looking into the future, toward the future and innovating in that way was was that. Because you know, I guess you were also you talking about finishing your medical schooling in the late '80s, early '90s, when in training in the, in the '90s, when you know computers were coming to the, the forefront. Was was it, yep. was it a part of riding that wave? Was that part of the um, the the sliding doors moment? Had you always been in, interested in, in the power of um, technology and how it could impact medicine?
1: Look, to be frank, no, really. I I I was a plastic classic. Um, sort of student of medicine where where you're taught, I think beautifully, is you're taught to to listen, take a history, examine and look at what it is, make a assessment or diagnosis and then, you know, deliver a, a, a plan of action or therapeutics. And that was sort of where I sort of fell on all my ideas. I, I really liked business and I always had a bit of a, uh, sort of a passion to do things. And, and the first one I did was um, I think called Dr. No magazine. Mm. No as in K and a, a W. And it was simply in the early 90s sitting as a doctor and watching my patients fumble their way through filthy Women's Weekly magazines with, you know, not much in it, <laughs> a lot of rubbish, yep. and thinking what a great opportunity while they're sitting there to educate, teach, and inform public about important health issues prevention screening early detection all those things so uh with a another gp uh or another doctor and a his wife who was a uh, a journalist we started this basically this free patient magazine that you could get out of a uh, medical waiting room it was funded by advertisements and it was really the start of that sort of health information and uh Ultimately uh, we sold it to a business that was you know owned by uh, the Packer group and uh, it was turned from Dr. No to good health and from good health to good medicine and ultimately spawned a bit of a show and a magazine. but we really just got it past its infancy so that was sort of something that I'd already um, started was to sort of enjoy solving i suppose business problems in the health sector. Mm. And then the thing that started UHG was really an accident. I was, as I said, training to be a dermatologist. I was working at Alfred Hospital in the dermatology outpatients, and as well I was working my dad's practice in Paran as a GP. And one day a woman walked in uh, wanting a pre-employment medical for Crown Casino that was going to open in uh, 97 in the early of 97 right. and i didn't even know what a pre-employment medical was and, it, and she handed me a letter from the hr manager of crown which didn't say much it just said examine this person tell me if they're fit to be a dealer and uh, uh i did it took about 10 minutes the patient was well healthy it was the easiest consultation i had all day <laughs> i spoke to the hr manager and i said look you know what are you want is there a form or anything? She said, No, just put on your letterhead and I said, Well, you know, what do you charges is what because you know, Medicare was about ten dollars for a bulk bill consultation. She said, Oh look, you just charge whatever you think's fair I said, Okay, well, you know, people at that time were charging about forty or fifty dollars. Um, and then I went on and uh yeah. saw my next patient who was a non English speaking Greek diabetic with C I D. D and, you know, obesity and I thought, Jeez, that's it was interesting, and uh, just thinking about it, I, I imagined that as they were doing the largest recruitment ever in Victoria, that there'd be thousands of people running around to their doctors doing these funny medicals, yeah. and maybe there was an opportunity to make it easier for the HR manager who had no set form, no set price, multiple invoices, things going in all there everywhere. So I rang up the HR manager the next day and I said, "Look, you know, instead of people going to their own GP, why don't I'll do them all." And uh, she sort of listened. I, I, I didn't think she acknowledged it that much. But I ultimately got a call when I was uh, a week later from her say, you know, that idea, um, I love it. Let's go and, uh, you know, create uh, some consistency, make it easier for us. We just want one provider, we do 1,000. So we did that and we created a form and a process and a function and delivered about 2,500, you know, wow. pre employment medicals in about three months. Grabbing caravans out the front of the medical centre, working, you know, 16 hour days. I'd got all my mates who had extra time at the Alfred to come and do the work, and we basically solved the problem. That's all it was. And that was really the birth of UHG. There was no great technology, there was a fax machine, there was a printer to get some form, and, uh, you know, it was my wife in the back room helping.
0: So when you, when you talk about the, the sliding door moment, I mean, there is then a period where, you know, as, you, as you've just described, where you see that this this thing has some legs, that this might be something that you could see yourself doing. What was that period like? And, you know, did you feel as though you were taking a risk in, in going down this road? Obviously, you could see that, you know, this was a viable thing, but um, did you feel did, that there was a risk involved in stepping off the, the, the beaten path in that way, in that sense?
1: Look. Uh, I did it in some ways, but I didn't stop to think about it that much. I was already in my early thirties. I'd sort of played around with a number of specialties and felt that none had really fitted me perfectly, which is probably why it took so long. Um, you know, the, the there was no real financial risk because I was earning such a miserly sum at the Alfred Hospital that, to be frank, the, the financial Um, It was actually more of an incentive, (laughs) rather. Yeah, it was a positive, not a negative. Um, I could continue working as a doctor, really funding it. If It wasn't like a startup today where you go out and raise, you know, series A, B, C. Um, So I think the risk was more seen by those around me who were going, you know, you spent, you know, 12 years getting to this point, you know, dermatology is so hard. Why would you leave? Why would you not pursue that, you know, my father, who I know had a touch of disappointment, who who ended up being a GP, but had aspirations to be a specialist because, um, and, and couldn't do so because of life circumstances. So I felt a little bit of, I suppose, family guilt and pressure, but I didn't really ponder the risk. Um, I just kept going and we were so busy. Um, we really just moved forward.
0: Do you think it would have been possible to you, – you mentioned, you know, the difference in um, the way people go about startups these days compared to what you, got, you, you were doing in, in the late 90s. Is it? Do you think it's harder to do that sort of thing nowadays than it, than it might have been?
1: Uh, no, I think it's easier. I mean, today there's an amazing ecosystem growing of, you know, um, seed funding, venture, um of to you know ultimately private equity, but you know if I had walked into a bank or gone to someone said you know I've got this idea, um, I'm going to do these medicals and I want to borrow a million dollars and you know people would look at you like you're you're mad. So <laughs> I think today the opportunity is is far greater to take an idea to reality, um, you know in a in a probably a faster way. And I suppose that, you know, we did it very slowly. When I look back on a, on the journey of 20-odd years, sure. you know, some businesses today are, um, you know, doing what we did in 20 years in, in one year or two years because of the, I suppose, the ability to get funding, the ability, to therefore, to take greater risks and, um, you know, the rewards um, are really there today.
0: I want to sort of broaden it out. We might get, come back to that in a moment, but just sort of talking about because you do have outside of you actually some other roles and in, in, in involvements with you know things like boards and your, your involvement with Monash university companies, as you said before, MedHealth health and, and, and um, what your consultancy work with uh, big players like Afterpay. How have those opportunities come about, and, and what have you gained from them? What have you learned from them? Um, how what, what have they meant for you?
1: Um, look, I pretty quickly learned both um, from my time at UHG and, and and outside of UHG that, you know, I've never been trained in business. Um, it's all been instinctive. I did do accounting AF101 uh, as part of my medical degree if you had to do it. But really, I had no training. So my advantage, if any, in the... Commercial world is in healthcare, so that's the first. And second of all, that's really my my, my passion. I'm really passionate to, you know, improve the health uh, system, uh, solve problems in that health sphere. So that's really where I've focused all my time and attention. I think having a, you know, a great grasp of the health system gives you some ability to see some of the problems and potentially solve them. Um, my role, particularly my not-for-profit roles uh, on the board of Murdoch Children's Research Institute yep. or as chair of Victorian Clinical Genetics Service, are really, I, I suppose, the way of giving a little bit back. But as, uh, as Deepak Chopra says, serving others serves me and I I love the work that I do in that area of not-for-profit particularly around um, research the opportunities for translation and commercialisation to make a fundamental difference to the health of in the case of Murdoch, the health of children um, is wonderful and a privilege so uh, that I particularly enjoy and in terms of of the other opportunities, um, you know, we're a bit like I did with um, Dr. No and a bit like I did with UHG is the same as I would do if I saw a patient is just identify or listen to a problem and then try to come up with a solution. And that was what I saw with Afterpay. Um, Afterpay was a, a buy now, pay later product yep. that was in retail But I saw with the rise of, um, out of pocket costs in health, with the falling rates of private health insurance, particularly in millennials, I saw a real opportunity to fill that gap with uh, a buy now, pay later that would enable, you know, that group of people to budget better for planned and unplanned health events. So, you know, I started that with the founder of Afterpay and a couple of other guys in 2018, and it's really been an amazing success. In fact, it's a good example, you know, what that business, what that health part of that large business has done in two years has uh, outstripped the size of UHG that took 20 years. So, um, you know, there's some lessons there. I think in in the way uh, you grow, Um, if you're in a hurry, there are there are ways of speeding things up.
0: There are a lot of questions that <laughs> occurred, you know, I want to ask you based on what we've been talking about. You, one of the things that you talked about was, you know, philosophy. You talked about Deepak Chopra, but, but more, you know, and you talked about your also your uh, strength being your medical uh, background rather than, you know, and you're sort of learning the, the business side of things as you go along. Obviously, ongoing education is a, a huge part of medicine, um, you know, CME, CPD, and your a lot of the roles that you've just discussed have sort of underlined your commitment on that front. Is that, is that though a philosophy that you take with business as well that you always are on the lookout for opportunities to learn more and, and and experience different things to sort of broaden your, your uh, understanding of it generally?
1: Look, for me, absolutely. Um, That sort of type A personality. I can't sit and relax Mm. um, too well. And I love, to see um, you know new opportunities. So I had a um, you know brilliant experience last year. Went to Singularity University in Silicon Valley and saw you know an, an amazing uh, you know way that a new university can work in terms of how it um, looks at at the future through the eyes of exponential technologies like um, you know AI, genomics, three D printing. So I love those um, new horizons, and um, I suppose in some ways I'm always looking out for opportunities to uh, to you know to to make some uh, changes and get invested in uh, in opportunities that are going to make that difference to to people and make uh, the health care of people better and make the system work more efficiently and effectively. So, you know. The Victorian Clinical Genetics Service, which does a lot of the genomics testing um, in pregnancy and, and maternal screening, is a wonderful example of how you take from research to translation to commercialization in a in a frontier like genomics, which is going to be you know something that's going to change the face of healthcare and, and medicine going forward. So, yeah, I I do enjoy it, but I suppose that you know. That was something. Commercial um, education was something that I did not get at all in medicine, and uh, I'm sad to say that I don't think that's changed much today. Mm-hmm. But I am uh, I'm deep in discussions with some of the um, with one of the universities in particular, who who recognise that um, what I've done, and I call Myself a doctor still because I, I, as I said, I think that I followed a route in what I call commercial medicine as opposed to clinical medicine or research, and I think it's a a really legitimate pathway that many people have taken, and I think it's a pathway that will only grow, and I think making it legitimate, legitimate, um, providing some education that people want to take that pathway or partially take that pathway. Is, um is a great opportunity for our universities and uh you know our, our medical um, bodies um, going forward so yeah
0: just on that point you might, I mean and tying a couple of th- that back to a couple of things you mentioned as well. Again, I, the common thread through all this is, as you pointed out, your you know, your strength is your background in medicine, and you the way you've gone about leveraging your medical knowledge and experience to make an impact in, in all of these different sort of adjacent fields. Um, doctors turning medical consultant or entrepreneur seem to be a bit of a growing breed. Um, at the moment, there are so many, and there are so many businesses, organisations, corporations. We've talked about some of them today, that are seeing the value in working with doctors, uh, medical professionals, and getting a lot of from those associations and working relationships. I'm wondering what what are the most important important things to to keep in mind for a doctor going down the kinds of paths that you have working with the kinds of organisations, businesses, corporates, or whoever it might be, whether it's in consultancy or, or any of the other. Um, uh, Fields where, where your medical knowledge expertise or even viewpoint is being sought by others. What are the things that the doctors should keep in mind when they're when they're exploring those opportunities?
1: Um look I think they should they should follow their 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 passion and their, their heart and um I think they should not underestimate their value in understanding a the health system, if they do, and B the healthcare provider. You know that's a, a very interesting beast, and you know doctors are different to dentists, are different to nurses, are different to allied health professionals, and and, and I think that knowing the people and their diet, you know the way they think and the way they behave is really important and valuable. Um, the other thing I would say is, I mean, I've had it a bit, and I, th- I hope that. Goes away the longer we, the further we can legitimise that, um, that commercial medical pathway. Mm-hmm. But I think there is a little bit of a guilt, and there's a little bit of a, uh, a concern that doctors have leaving the fold, whether it's about the risk or whether it's about you know feeling that I've invested so much time in it. Sure. I I think anyone who's interested in those entrepreneurial um, activities should look at their medical degree and their medical experience as just part of that uh, training. No different to, you know, uh, a lawyer working a law firm and then going into a business, and no different to, um, you know, someone working in accounting and running a business. I see it just as part of the journey and the experience. So, my, my, um, not sure the question was my advice, but my advice is if you're interested, you, you know, go for it. It doesn't have to be your full time mm-hmm. um, gig, it can be part, it can be a side gig, but I think it's something if you've got a passion for, doctors are well placed. I mean, if you look at the publicly listed healthcare companies, the greatest successes in Australian healthcare really have been businesses started by doctors, whether it's Sonic Health, Colin Goldschmidt. Um, whether it's, you know, Brian McNamee at CSL, whether it's, um, you know, Ed Bateman yep. at Primary, you know, they're they're really success stories in terms of uh, Australian businesses. And I think doctors were there and I think doctors can be excellent um, commercial uh, uh, business uh, people as well.
0: You mentioned earlier in the chat that um, and perhaps I misunderstood, but, um, uh, initially, when I was reading about your background going into this, because I thought you were still practicing, but obviously, you, I think as you mentioned earlier, you you ceased practice back in two thousand and eight to, to focus on yep. these. In terms of you know that, and I, it's really interesting you hear you talk about, um, you know that that shift in and seeing um that sort of transition being more and more um legitimised or um and that stigma that that is starting to go away from it, you know, from the commercial element of it. What was it like, though, making making that decision to to step away from from clinical medicine at the coalface and to to focus on the other side of it?
1: Look, it was incredibly difficult, and in fact, over the journey, I went you know from ninety seven to two thousand eight. I really went from virtually full time clinical medicine um, to you know to four days a week to three days a week to two days a week to half a day a week, then half a day a fortnight. And, you know, I went from sort of general practice to really focusing predominantly on on your skin, which is really what I was training to be and what I particularly enjoyed. But I just found that it was like letting go of, uh, you know, probably my last child to leave home. I just didn't want to let it go. I felt yeah. a real mixture of, of, of guilt as well as, um, you know, letting the team down. But, you know, I when I was seeing patients, I felt like I should be working on the business. When I was working on the business, I felt like I should see patients sure. and a young family. And I was really just, you know, burning the candle both ends and, and, and starting to struggle. And, and I vividly remember, you know, I was cut down to about, about half a day every fortnight, and I'd uh, removed the skin cancer off a, a an older woman's face and I was doing a, uh, a closure and, you know, I really struggled. Um, it was a little bit tight. Um, I had to do a little flap, and I just had lost that practice. I hadn't been doing enough and I just knew at that moment that something had to give and, uh, and I gave up, but it was, um, it was really, really difficult. And in fact, um, I've mean, got a classic story. There was a woman, a Greek woman, who I had had all through my general practice years. She followed me from, um, I saw it once when I did a locum in Baldwin and she followed me to my practice in Paran. Sure. And she took a, a, a taxi and basically spent a lot of money each time coming to see me really as much for chat as, as anything. And, you know, I, I weaned my patients down, but she was the, she was the last, Patient and um, and I I vividly remember telling her that I was I was going uh, to stop practice and um, and she started crying as did I and you know that was a a sense of uh, overwhelming I suppose relief in some ways because I knew it was the right time but also uh, many many years of um, you know trying to be what I you know probably what I thought I was going to be. And uh, it was an interesting moment.
0: Do you find yourself missing it still or, or are you sort of um, busy with other things now?
1: <laughs> you know, I, if I, I had a dollar for every person that asked me if I'd missed clinical medicine, um, I probably could have uh, retired a while ago. It's, <laughs> it's a really, it's, a, it's such a common question from people in the public yeah. um, and even colleagues. And in some ways, I answer it by saying, I don't, you know, I don't think I've given up medicine. I see the commercial medical route as a mechanism to, you know, deliver health um, changes and health outcomes in a different way, whether it's, you know, that magazine that I started or, or that connection that we built through technology at UHG or the, you know, the, the input that I may give at, you know, Murdoch or elsewhere. I still say that is healthcare and therefore I feel like I haven't sort of abandoned ship or, or yeah, given up. Yeah. But, but in saying that in actual clinical medicine, there there are days when I think, um, yeah, I really miss it. And in fact, to be frank, at the start of COVID, when they were looking for, you know, they were talking about extra doctors, yep, yep. Um, I, I, I really got close to putting my hands up, but I thought, I was so far gone back, you know, 12 years is a long time and you know, haven't put in a trip, haven't, uh, used the stethoscope too much. I-, I was still okay with the pen, writing a script or a referral, but that was about it. So, um, yes, there is a little, there's a little part of me that would love to go back and do a, you know, a shift every week in emergency, but I just think it's really hard to go back now.
0: As you say, I mean, it, the the role that that some that your business is playing now is, is is a really vital one in terms of connecting patients and, and, and helping people, you know, helping generally um, with healthcare um, on a broader scale. I mean, you, I've talked to – one of the, the last questions I was going to talk to you, I wanted to ask you about was um, the idea of, you know, um, uh, whether it's um, – Uh, imposter syndrome or whatever you want to call it. I was speaking to, in a previous episode, I spoke to Professor Michael Kidd, who most listeners would know is currently the Deputy deputy, um, Chief Medical Officer, but he's held countless roles and worked all over the place. One of the things we talked about was imposter syndrome and and having the confidence to go into some of those different roles and and, um, stepping away from certain things. And I just wondered if if that's something that's ever – because – that, that you've experienced or had to deal with yourself because i i get me from what from what we've talked about i mean you're so passionate and excited about the things that you're doing it's uh, it's it's hard to it's hard to sort of see that, that there was any room for for that fear of failure that feel for fear of um um that, that you weren't quite cut out to be doing it is where does that
1: sit with you uh look i must say uh, look i've stuck to my in my sort of uh, part of healthcare, really. So feeling like an imposter hasn't been something that has really hit me because I've often been bringing that healthcare um, skill set to the table, mm. such as, you know, you know, the board of the Murdoch Children's Research Institute. There's a lot of people, some brilliant people from marketing and from finance and from, um, you know, Research it. I've got sort of a more entrepreneurial skill. So I don't, I haven't really ventured out and gone and done a, you know, a, a, a role in a non healthcare technology business, you know, for example, where I, I might be well out of my, my uh, league. Um, I've certainly feared failure, that's for sure. And there's been plenty of times. You know, particularly with UHG, where we've done things, and I've just you know had plenty of sleepless nights thinking I've made some some significant mistakes. Um, but you know, I, I, I spent a little bit of time in Israel, where they're known by the, the term the startup nation, and that's because they have this uh, this absolute passion for building new businesses, starting businesses, uh, and you know, if they fail, they get up and they try again. Failure is not a measure of failure. It's a measure of having a go and giving it a try. And look, you know, there's plenty of things that we've done either within the business at UHG or elsewhere um, that have been, you know, not successes per se, but um, as Jeff Bezos says, you know, every every failure, Uh, has ultimately given some some oxygen to a success. And, um, you know, we started a business called Salus Healthcare, which I thought was a really good idea. I'd been on a trade mission with the state government looking for ways to improve the economy and and to have new industries. And we saw in Singapore and in Israel and in Europe you know, medical tourism, basically bringing people into Australia for great health care. Uh, we thought we had an amazing health system that in places like Southeast Asia and the Sydney Islands, what a great opportunity to bring them in, sure. share our great health care um, and build an economy, uh, you know, a boost for our economy. And, you know, I started that business with two other very smart people, one being the founder of seek a guy called Andrew Bassett. And, uh, and uh, you know, another guy who, who was trained to be a doctor, a lawyer, and worked at a very large organization and a, a great success. And and that ended up being, I wouldn't say a failure because we got it off the ground. It lasted five five years. We had, you know, clients like the Rural Children's Hospital um, that we were bringing patients in from Southeast Asia and Pacific Islands to that hospital. but. It wasn't a commercial success. It hit many, many um, hurdles that we either thought we could get over, or we didn't recognise when we went into it. And you know, I'm as in some ways as proud of that as I am of you know Doctor No that ended up being sold, or potentially UHG. Um, it's just part of the. Uh, it's just part of that journey that I've been on, and you know, and really grateful. That of everything that, you know, we've done, whether it's been regarded as, as a success or failure by others has really not phased me too much. Well,
0: on that optimistic note, I might be a good time to wrap it up. So, I look, thank you so much again for, for your time this afternoon, Brandon, for being able to, to discuss so many different elements of, of your journey along the way. I really do appreciate your time.
1: And thank you and particularly thank Creative um, Careers in medicine, what a wonderful initiative! Um, I'm deeply started it. I believe, um, yep, yep. yeah, I think the uh, to recognise that doctors can do many things uh, and many things concurrently, uh, but many things outside of medicine or or in a different path of medicine, like I've described. I think is a um, is a, a wonderful uh, thing that she's created and uh, is certainly helping. Um, other people, other doctors. And uh, as my son hopefully embarks on a medical career, which uh, he's just had his interview for Melbourne Uni, oh, hopefully yeah. he gets in, um, he's he great. can look and he can enter that, that, uh, that journey knowing that he could potentially become a clinician, go research, admin, or use his skills in commercial or other ventures. And I, I think that's... Um, that's where we are today,
0: which I think is uh, is great. Huge, huge thank you there to Dr. Brandon Carp for his time and for being part of the CCIM podcast. We really are lucky uh, with the people that we're able to talk to on this series. Um, he's just the latest in a number of really great guests that we've been uh, fortunate enough to feature this year. Um, so go back and listen to some of the other episodes if, if you're new to the podcast. Quick reminder: the CCM 2020 conference is still coming up. It's only a short time away now, on December 12th and 13th, a virtual event over two days. Head to creativecareersinmedicine.com if you've not already got your ticket. You can also read about the membership program and get involved with that if you're not already a member. This has been an Embrace Creative production for Creative Careers in Medicine. We'll be back with more interviews and episodes very soon.